today what i'm going to talk about um i've actually uh, kind of uh, spoken um just a couple of days back uh, at my church and some of you have got to see it but you know spaced repetition is not a bad thing so it's about christian generosity and uh, you know uh, here's a question i just like to ask all of you do you know which book apart from the psalms did jesus quote the most from and i'm sure most of you know it deuteronomy uh, absolutely it's a book of deuteronomy so whenever i i read any passage in deuteronomy i pay a little extra attention and so uh, when i i'm going to talk about a few verses from deuteronomy 15 at the start and then uh, talk about a lot of a lot of other scripture but in deuteronomy 15 i think uh, a few answers are there to questions like why do i or why do you or why do christians uh, need to be generous and uh, it starts off uh, you know uh, with a simple answer because god desires us to be generous and uh, the verse i'm 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 thinking of is deuteronomy 15:4 where god says there must be no poor people among you period that's it nothing more nothing less and uh, we need to just stop here uh, instead of giving all our uh, you know uh, defenses of why uh, we are permitting poor people among us uh, and actually the context of this uh, particular verse is starting from Deuteronomy 15:1 and uh, and and god actually makes this comment at the end of every seventh year cancel all debts that this is a procedure everyone who has lent money to a neighbor writes it off this is a radical requirement you know it is a radical requirement in today's language it means if a christian friend borrowed say 1 lakh from me 7 years back and he still owes me 50000 today which is the 7th anniversary i must write it off entirely everything that i was supposed to receive this is god's plan how the poor christian would get a chance to start with a fresh slate and not be burdened by a loan that he or she is unable to to repay so as a former banker i've been a former banker uh, who had the fiduciary duty to get back all the money that was loaned out such write offs seem both unfair and frankly inexplicable but that is the nature of god's grace in human terms grace which god gives us is equally amazing as it is unfair in this passage we find god asking us his people who received the undeserved favor and generosity of god when we accepted christ to extend such generosity to others now some people uh, may say you know this is teaching from the old testament and ask hasn't all that stuff changed 
with Jesus's arrival, you know, uh, and the New Testament. Apart from the fact that such an argument is uh, is flawed, it's flawed because Jesus himself said he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. But we also find elsewhere in the New Testament, the answer is no. In fact, the method may have changed, but the spirit of generosity required in God's desire about the poor and needy, that has not changed. In some ways, it has actually increased. Today, our generosity is not limited to the seventh year. But as Christians, we must be generous all the time. You don't believe me? Let's read a few verses about the early church from Acts 4, 32 to 35. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had a need. The fact is the behavior of the early Christians is even more incredible, even more radical than what was required in the Old Testament. Did you notice what Paul says? And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. This kind of incredible behavior is possible only when we let God's grace work in our hearts. Let me point one more interesting thing. In the Old Testament and in both the Old Testament and the New Testament passages that we read, in the Old Testament passage, the rich are asked to be generous and to write off debts, thereby continue to be blessed by God. But if you see in the New Testament, we see something in addition. And I just want to read this out. Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected. The outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. In the New Testament, we see an amazing spirit of generosity shown by the poor, just as the rich were expected there, here the poor 
Macedonians, they seem to be going through a kind of tough time that uh, I think many of us are going through during this pandemic, which, you know, reduced salaries or maybe no salary, major business losses. But here's what Paul writes. And, he, and, and this is quite incredible. And again, you know, we see it's the grace of, of God. Let me ask a question here, you know. Do you think it's easier to give in times of plenty than when we are going through difficult times or in poverty? Possibly it is easier when we have plenty. But we see Jesus actually recognizing those who gave both in poverty and in plenty. Now, who does not remember the widow whom Jesus praised for giving out of her poverty? But how many of us remember Jesus' praise to Zacchaeus when he generously gave away when he had plenty? He gave away 50% of his wealth to the poor and cheerfully he volunteered <clears throat> to pay four times the amount to anyone he had cheated. Jesus applauded this generosity, saying, today is salvation day in this home. You see, unlike the, the young rich uh, ruler who was unwilling to give God priority, Zacchaeus was willing to do it. Again, when God visits our homes and our hearts, the grace of giving helps us. We become generous, whatever our financial strength or situation may be. So that was the widow and Zacchaeus. So we are now left with a, a simple question. How do I get this magical grace of giving from God? The answer, my friends, is in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5. What explains it was they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and then to us. Jesus himself said, Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you, even the grace of giving. You know, otherwise, how can you make sense of this kind of attitude and generous spirit? especially when uh, we are facing fierce troubles. This is not natural behavior. I hope you all understand this. This is supernatural behavior. It has to be God working in us or having the gift of grace that God has given us. It is this gift of God's grace alone that can make us feel enthusiastic to give at any time, be it hard times or times of plenty, and to give, as, as God said, cheerfully. I'm going to, my PowerPoint kind of, I didn't get the time to complete it, so I'm going to stop it right here, and you're just going to see me as we go forward. So let me just continue. The first reason that we must be generous is that it is God's desire that there be no poor among us. The second reason we need to be generous is because God's work requires our generosity. 
An incident mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels relates to the healing meeting Jesus is having in a crowded house in Capernaum. I'm sure you all remember the incident. A paralytic is lowered down through the roof by his friends and is healed by Jesus. Remember the story? I just want to point out a small thing that we often miss. Once the meeting ended and everyone, including Jesus, had left the house, someone had to be generous with their money and fix the roof. I'm not sure how much it cost them, but fixing uh, church roofs uh, are not, uh, you know, a small, uh, a small expense. For any church, including yours and mine, people need to be generous with their time, talent, and yes, their treasure chest for God's ministry to both work and to thrive. And so it is... It is important for us to acknowledge, especially uh, the generosity of, I'm sure, many of you listeners. Your generosity of giving to your church or your ministries that you're involved in, your time, your talent and treasure, would have helped your churches and organizations meet the challenges of the pandemic and in many ways thrive rather than merely survive. Now that we have two reasons for being generous in our giving. I'm going to share some principles of Christian generosity and giving that my wife Shami and I have learned over the years from different sources. But all of them, the principles are rooted in God's word. And that has moved us from being, and especially, I have to confess me, uh, from being reasonably tight-fisted givers to people who have kind of loosened our grip on our uh, purse and wallets uh, and what we hold back as we try to be generous givers for God's work and for the poor and for the hurting. The first principle is this, God owns everything. This is something we all know because in most churches, after the offering is taken, we use some version of King Solomon's words found in 1 Chronicle 29, 14b. Everything comes from you And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Yes, God owns it all. But to complete the principle, a few more words need to be added. The principle we learned is that God owns it all, but we have the responsibility to manage it. So giving must be done prayerfully and responsibly. If one has a spouse, the decision to give and the amount must be made collectively with your spouse. This should be in a spirit of unity and cheerfulness. Our responsibility lies in assessing a need properly before giving, mainly because our resources are limited. Secondly, we realize money doesn't guarantee satisfaction. The truth is, no matter how much we have, it's never enough. We always want more. By default, we are hoarders. Jesus came very hard upon hoarders. Remember his parable of the hoarder who wanted to tear down his barns and build bigger barns? Remember also how Jesus rebuked another hoarder, the servant who buried his master's talent until his master returned. How about me and how about you? Are we hoarding our resources by burying them so that we can take them out 
during a time of audit or in some on, on, on some rainy day uh, that may never come? Or are we holders motivated to keep building bigger, bigger barns? And if that's the case, what is the size of the barn we need before we stop hoarding? As a family, we realized that instead of building barns, God seemed to be prompting us to empty our barns. We find it very puzzling and actually amazing to see how every time we empty a large part of our barn, God finds a new way to fill it up. I'm sure you must have also experienced something like that. Now, by emptying our barn, I don't mean we empty our barns by increasing our consumption. Okay, That would not be using God's resources responsibly. But emptying the barn is to invest the proceeds on God's agenda. The idea of emptying our barns moves us to our third learning. Let me use a simple farming analogy. Any farmer will tell us we must treat our harvest also as seeds. In other words, we must use our harvest to invest in future harvest. The more you invest, the greater your future harvest. Investment in the future is limited by how much we consume in the present or by how much we hoard, anticipating a future famine that may never happen. Jesus congratulates two of the three servants in the parable of the talents because they seem to understand and apply this principle. They treated their talents as seeds, or as my fellow bankers would say, as seed capital, and invested it and doubled the resources given to them. But the third person who gets reprimanded by Jesus did not, and instead treated it as a harvest and hoarded it in his barn till his master returned. In both parables, whether the farmer was building a bigger barn or the parable of the talents, it is clear Jesus would like us to invest and not hoard our resources. The resources he has given to us. So let's view our resources as seeds to invest and not just as harvest. Treating our resources as seeds leads us to the next learning, which is resources need to be invested. Whenever we get some funds we can invest in, we wrestle with the idea of where to invest so that we manage God's resources well. While the answer is quite easy that we want to invest it in things that have permanent or eternal value uh, and not in things of, with temporary value, making a choice among competing options is not easy. What my wife and I have learned and where we are today is that the permanent or eternal value that God is interested in simply boils down to one word, people. So that is where we invest all our seeds. We found we had three options when investing in people. First, we could invest indirectly by financially supporting people or organizations involved in God's work, like Christian workers, mission organizations, and our church. This investment is mainly through our finance and treasure chest. Secondly, we could invest our time and talents in people. Again, this could be individually mentoring or through Christian organizations involved in people development and within our church. 
That's why I'm so interested in CBMC. It's part of what uh, is like a life mission. Here we invest our resources of time and talents in people. The third option, as you must have guessed, is what we have picked. We invest our lives in people. And this includes our time, talents, and treasure chest. Let me very, be very clear. You know, my wife Shami and I, we are not unique in doing this. Many, if not all of you viewing or listening, do the same with the resources that God has given you. Equally true is that all of us could do much more than what we are currently doing. But this is a good time for me to expand Christian generosity to include more than treasure. We need to be generous with our time and talent and the opportunities that God has given us. The investment of time and talent made by our Sunday school teachers, youth leaders to build the next generation is quite obvious and needs no explaining. But many who volunteer in different ways in different ministries that enrich and edify their church or organization's life as they invest and build people and their faith are also investing their resources on things that have eternal value. Investment in people is about replication and multiplication. Jesus said, make disciples. He never said or never asked us just to be disciples. He could have very easily said that. So here's a little tip. In whatever area you're adding eternal value, can you have the mindset of replicating yourself in others? What I mean is very simple. If you're currently a leader, can you move on to become a leader maker by mentoring someone else? If you're a choir master, can you become a choir master maker? Can you develop someone else who can fill your role? If you're a Sunday school teacher, you can become a teacher maker and so on. Why is such an investment important? Because God's kingdom needs more harvesters. As Jesus himself said, the harvest is plenty, but the harvesters are few. Can we all be harvester makers? Finally, let me share something I recently learned from reading a book by a trustee of Haggai Institute, Ralph Dudera. I call it the eternal net worth concept. We all know our personal net worth. We just add the value of things that we own and we reduce whatever we owe or we have to return. The balance is our net worth. And we do our best to have a positive number as our personal net worth. And we always try to increase it. But how many of us know what our eternal net worth is? Before I explain the concept, let me, let me explain how I think this concept can help us to be more generous. Let's go back for a moment to the parable of the two servants who were commended by their master. You see, they knew how they were doing only when the master returned and assessed and conducted an audit. And, you know, he commended the performance uh, by saying, you have increased your net worth by doubling your assets. But how do you or I assess how we are doing? So that's where this eternal net worth concept, uh, which is about laying up treasures in heaven, where neither moth 
nor rust nor destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is where Ralph Dudera's suggestion helps. And it will help you understand where you are in your eternal net worth. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we have done this exercise and we find it both a useful guide and more importantly, a motivator to be more generous. So here it is, it's very simple. First, we need to realize our resources, that is things that we own, must be split into two types, permanent assets and temporary assets. So permanent assets are what we give away for God's work. It includes our giving to our church or churches, uh, charitable organizations, uh, which are involved in God's work, taking care of the poor, uh, sponsoring education of children, etc. And uh, if you are uh, able to, and, and I'm trying to work that out, uh, you can even calculate the time that you spend and give it a value. These are assets that have eternal value. And the reason is because God values them. What are our temporary assets are our bank balances, the company shares we own, the value of the house we own, our cars, jewelry, etc. So first we calculate the value of our permanent assets by including all we have given over the years. Calculate it for as many years that you can remember with reasonable accuracy. It's important not to inflate these numbers, okay? There is a tendency, oh, I've forgotten, maybe it was and you put a higher number. It's better to leave out items we are unsure of. Next, add up all your temporary assets by calculating them in today's value. Once we do that, uh, compute, you can then compute uh, what I call as our eternal net worth. It is our permanent assets minus our temporary assets. And the goal is to have a positive eternal net worth. If we do that, and if you realize that you have a positive network, that's great. But we should try to increase it. If our net worth, our eternal net worth is negative, that too is great. Because now we have a goal and an opportunity to work towards investing more in permanent assets that have eternal value. If you need help in calculating your permanent assets, drop me an email. I'll send you a template in a spreadsheet which I've created, which also takes or factors in the time value of money. You know, uh, the time value of money is basically the value of 1,000 rupees that you gave five years back is more valuable than 1,000 that you give today. So we can factor that in to calculate your permanent net, uh, your permanent assets and to get your eternal net. Don't get me wrong, both assets are needed. But hopefully, at some point in our life, our permanent assets will begin to exceed our temporary assets. This will be possible only by the grace of God and if we have a desire to empty our barns. Also remember, our generosity is not limited only to our money. We can do it with our time, talent, and making use of opportunities God gives us. So let's be generous with all our passion, all our strength, all our compassion, 
all our intelligence and with God's love in our hearts, let's do our best to make God's desire of having no poor among us a reality. Let no one among us be financially, intellectually, socially, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually in need. Let's all be generous. Amen. Father God, we just bow down in your holy and awesome presence, Lord. Lord, you're a God who taught us what generosity is. And I pray, Lord, that some of these thoughts that you placed in my heart would write themselves in the hearts of, of the listeners here today. I pray, Lord, that you would give us all hearts of, of flesh, Lord, uh, not hearts, hearts of stone, Lord, when it comes to giving. I pray, Lord, that you will open our minds and help us then, Lord, to open our wallets and purses and be generous, Lord, as you are generous. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And I pray that this Monday manna that you have provided each one of us, Lord, be something that we would reflect on and we would actually be doers in Jesus' holy and matchless name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.